Hey, you guys. I'm Wendy Weiss. Welcome to Dark Tales. Hopefully you're still with me. I know that I skipped a week because I did skip one uh, because I'm an asshole and I'm going to be posting these as soon as I get off the microphone. So welcome back. Welcome back to me. I skipped a week. I guess I don't need to tell you guys this, but uh, I feel I must confess that what happened is I am because I've been trying to figure out how to make these things sound the best and I have no idea what I'm doing as I said I have recorded some stories over and over and over again and and so there was a story that I recorded and I had recorded it like multiple multiple times before this and I was like okay let's just do one more because I think I can get a better recording and I recorded the story Uh, I did a great job I did a fantastic job and I looked and I had never pressed record. So I was so angry that I skipped a week. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I wasn't mad. I was just like, I'll do it after I take a little break. And that break lasted seven days. So I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about the fact that some of you may or may not know this. I'm currently in an outpatient treatment program that lasts 10 weeks. I'm in my my sixth week and last week I had found out that somebody who was in my group and had left the group successfully relapsed and had committed suicide so I obviously you know that's all the detail I can go into I'm I'm not going to say their name or anything like that I think that's a common enough occurrence that happens in rehab that I'm not giving away some incredibly private personal information. But obviously struck me. I didn't know this person very well, but it was difficult to hear because it reminded me of how scary a relapse can be. And it made me think of all the times that I I honestly thought that I was going to have to kill myself to sort of make this cycle stop, This to make the cycle of... Um, you know, just depression and mood issues and just being generally miserable. I have a lot of, and I didn't realize this is part of what my issue is, but I have a lot of anhedonia, which is the inability to experience pleasure from things. Um, So, you know, I have spent a lot of my time compulsively seeking pleasure and comfort. And that, as you can imagine, becomes a problem. Um, leads to addictive behavior. So that's why I'm in an outpatient program. Seeing as this is a podcast about dark things, I wanted to go into this a little bit because I think that I think it's important to sort of talk about what dark places you can go in your mind when you think that you're all alone and you think that you're the only person who's there. I, let's see, about four or five years ago or something like that, I had hit a really low point. This was one of the times where I thought that I was going to have to kill myself. I spent a couple months in just probably one of the lowest places I've ever been in my life. I was just crying every day, all day. I couldn't connect with anything that felt okay, much less good or happy. I thought that there was really just no point to anything. I was drinking a lot and I reached this really weird delusional place my mind was just really folding in on itself and I didn't know uh, what to do or where to go I reached this weird delusional place where um, I started to think that I was actually physically in hell and I 
thought I started to think that everybody was try was um Satan trying to communicate something to me through the people that were around me which was really really scary because I even though I was you know I was in a really bad place I thought that I still had my faculties about me and so I was really confused I was like am I having a spiritual is this a spiritual experience am I learning something about reality right now this is really weird all these things these signs these um what I felt like were uh I don't know how you would the I, I was seeing patterns and things I was seeing patterns in messages and like billboards and things like that things that I thought were coded and it was just kind of a scary place to be because I it didn't feel it seemed crazy but I didn't feel like I was crazy if that makes sense like so um that sort of like started this cycle of me reaching a really low place and then stopping drinking or, you know, and, and all drugs and everything, stopping everything I was doing for, on average, about two months a year. So I would reach this low place and think, I can't do this anymore, um, or I'm going to have to kill myself. And I would stop. And then I would go through this period of time where I'm working towards what I think is mental health or what I think is being a better person in my life. So I would stop doing everything I thought was fucking my life up. And then I would sort of realize that the things that I was doing were not the things that were making me miserable, which was very unfortunate to like repeatedly experience because I thought, well, maybe it's just, you know, substances that I'm putting on my body. I'll get on antidepressants and I'll stop everything. And it's really lame and scary and miserable to realize that sort of no matter what you do, you just can't. I felt like I didn't have control over myself or my mood. I couldn't enjoy anything. Um, you can't maintain a healthy lifestyle when you can't get joy from anything. You can't maintain a healthy lifestyle or you can't maintain the things that you think that you're supposed to do if you just can't feel joy from anything. It, you get, you know, angry easier. You, you have no patience for anything. Just everything is terrible, you know, and you're mean and you suck. And I was mean and I did suck. And sometimes that's still the case, but actually oddly enough, after that little delusional period is when I started stand up comedy. So I was in a very horrible place and I was like, I got to do something different. So that led to me doing stand up comedy. I think that's pretty common for people who do stand up to go through some kind of fucking crisis and then be like I need therapy I'm gonna do stand-up instead but that leads me to my next point um, and that's that this this time when I'm in treatment and um, I am in personal therapy I found a therapist that I really really like and I'm doing let's see nine hours of group therapy a week and um, two to three support group meetings in addition to that, and then every other week, another therapist. So um, a lot of therapy is going on. And another thing that is different is that I also stopped smoking weed. I never stopped smoking weed before. So this is the longest I've gone without substances in my body and regularly taking my antidepressants. But the big thing, I think, for me is therapy. And like, I had a relapse a couple months ago or a month ago or something like that. That was really bad. And, you know, it was one of a number of things that made me realize I just cannot fucking do this on my own. I can't do it. 
I don't, I, cause before that I was sober for two months and I thought I had a handle. I thought I had a grip on everything and I just didn't. So I just wanted to say that it has been amazingly transformative for me to completely focus my life on my mental health. And it was something that I've needed for a long time. It's something that I should have done a long time ago. Like I've been in therapy before, but I couldn't get a lot out of it for multiple different reasons. I didn't find a therapist that I meshed with that well. I was not sober, which is a, was a big part of it. So I couldn't get any growing done. And I just wanted to say that if you have been in this spot before, I really, really recommend dropping everything and focusing yourself in your life completely on recovering yourself because you it's a lot of heavy lifting for comparatively a short amount of time compared to fucking years and potentially a lifetime of suffering. And I am still early in recovery, so I don't have, you know, a whole lot of authority to tell you this, but I just do want to say that I I feel I feel different. I feel personally transformed. I feel like I found a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, there's obviously still hard days, lots of hard days. But I have, you know, coping mechanisms. I have people I can talk to. That's a big thing, you know, is when you feel like you're in that place isolating yourself. And a lot of people will be like, just if you're ever feeling bad, call someone, talk to somebody. And it's not that fucking easy. It's just not that easy, especially if you are in a place where you hate everything and you hate everybody. And you can't just call somebody and be like, I feel like shit, you know, because they're going to be like, oh, I'm sorry. That sucks professional help get professional help start with that and then you branch out into a community of people who have the same shit going on as you do for me it was amazing to go into um groups where people were talking about things that I thought were just very personal and individual to me and struggles that I just didn't talk about so um it was really healing for me and this last month or so a little over a month have been really really healing for me and I wanted to just talk about that a little bit and I wanted to read you guys this info about health and community services call 211 it's free and confidential Monday through Friday 8 a.m to 6 p.m search 4200 plus programs at www.211info.org you can or you can call for the Portland metro area, 503-222-5555. Or if you're in Southwest Washington, um, for some reason, call 877-501-0252. And I would just really urge you, if you're in any kind of bad spot, to start just with whatever strength you can possibly muster heaving yourself towards the light because it's fucking worth it and it's there and you can reach it I promise you so with that being said I'll get off my pulpit now and I will give you guys our story our story this week is hilarious in my personal opinion and I think it's a good example of the way that I sort of want dark tales to be open in its interpretation of what dark means the story is fantastic um i think you guys are really gonna like it i really 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 enjoy this story this week's story is the bank robber by william martin william martin is a father teacher and writer usually in that order he comes from a long line of story tales well bullshitters anyway he tends to be sarcastic hopefully a little humorous 
sometimes heartfelt, but primarily as true as he can be. You can find more of his work at www.authorwilliammartin.com. So, now that you guys are nice and bummed out, grab your antidepressants and settle in for this week's Dark Tale. The kid stood in front of the bank doors, reading its hours of operation and other information. Please remove helmets, sweatshirt hoods, and sunglasses. Do not leave car unattended for long periods of time. He had no car. He had walked the entire way to the bank, his baggy jeans barely hanging onto his thin frame, yet still able to hold the thirty-eight revolver in the center back of his waistband. He could feel the weight of the gun now as it rested there the four-inch barrel just touching the crack of his ass. He reached behind him and withdrew the gun. It felt heavy and powerful in his hand, and he tossed it up, just a bit. He looked back at the sign on the door. He still had his sweatshirt hood up, his aviator sunglasses on, but it didn't matter. The bank was closed. It was closed every weekend and closed weekdays at 5 o'clock p.m., Fridays at 6. It was Saturday and nearing dusk. He stood frowning at the front doors, his gaze shifting from the doors to the gun in his hand as though trying to make up his mind. Then he stepped over to the ATM to the far right of the front doors. He stood in front of the ATM but back about 12 feet. He planted his feet in a combat stance, raised the gun, and pointed at the glowing screen. Okay, motherfucker, give me all your cash. The ATM squatted in front of him, its screen glowing and silent. I'm not fucking with you, the kid said. Get those fucking hands where I can see them and start handing over your cash. The ATM screen continued to glow in response. Okay, fucker. The kid fired off three quick shots into the ATM screen. The gun bucked in his hand and two bullets hit the screen, one above the other. The third bullet wanged into the metal above the screen, leaving a small black hole. Pieces of the heavy plastic cover flew out while the rest of it cracked into a spider web. A small spark sputtered beneath its remaining surface, but otherwise there was no change in the machine. The kid, on the other hand, felt as if his ears had been pierced by ice picks. His head ached and his ears rang as though clapped by a pair of stovepot lids. He shouted his next words as much to be able to hear himself as to warn the machine once again. See, I'm not fucking around here! So hand over the fucking money or I will empty this gun into you and fucking kill you. The kid's ears began settling down and he could hear sirens, but the ringing kept him from being able to tell how far off the sirens were. Last chance, he warned. Again, the machine failed to even acknowledge the kid's existence. The kid fired his remaining shots into the ATM, bursting the plastic on the machine and killing its steady glow. 
The shots also burst his ears back into faint, whining pain. He ignored the impulse to reach up with his hands and to cover his ears. Instead, he held his hands straight out from his body like a forgotten scarecrow or Christ giving it up on the cross, the now empty gun dangling from the index finger of his right hand. The first of three police cars came screaming into the bank parking lot. It slammed to a stop behind the kid and both its occupants bailed from either side of the cruiser. One cop scuttled out of the driver's seat into the rear of the patrol car. The other cop bailed out of the right side of the cruiser, using its front end and passenger door for cover. The driver leveled his pistol at the kid's back, while his partner rested a short-barreled shotgun between the cruiser's door and the window frame. The two other police cars were soon on the scene as well, bouncing over a parking lot entrance, their tires screaming to a stop. They hung further back and to the outside of the first car. The doors flew open and the two additional officers settled into position with their guns on the kid. The driver of the first patrol car took charge. He had a small microphone attached to the shoulder of his uniform shirt and he reached up to squeeze the handset. As if by magic, his voice boomed from the bullhorns of the cruiser. Put your hands away from your body, the voice commanded, unnecessarily because the kid's hands were already in that position. Let the gun drop from your hand. The kid did as instructed. Now put your hands behind your head and lace your fingers together. The kid complied. Now get down on your knees and do not move. I want to see those hands remain right where they are. The kid eased down, the asphalt hard on his knees. But before he had even settled into the position, something seized his right wrist, pulling it down and behind him, while his body was slammed forward onto the asphalt. He barely had time to move his face aside, avoiding losing some teeth to the pavement. His aviator sunglasses clattered across the pavement. His other wrist was jerked behind his back, and he could hear the handcuffs snapping into place, pinching the skin on his wrists. A knee found the center of his back while one of the cops pulled his hood back and grabbed a fistful of his hair. They lifted the kid to his feet and walked him to the patrol car. What the hell was that shit? The cop in charge asked. What did you think shooting an ATM would get you? I mean, besides arrested. He slammed the kid over the hood of the patrol car and gave him a quick but thorough patting down. The kid smiled. Aren't you going to read me my rights before you question me? Son, you just shot the shit out of an ATM. There's enough evidence to prove your guilt ten times over. We'll let the detention officer go over the Miranda crap with you. The cop put his hand on the kid's head and eased him into the back seat of the cruiser. Mind your head now. What do you think they'll charge me with? That's up to the prosecutor's office, but let me see. The cop feigned, rubbing his chin as if in deep thought over the issue. Well, there's attempted robbery, of course. Destruction of property. Illegal carry of a firearm. Illegal discharge of a firearm within city limits. Probably illegal possession of a firearm. Hell, I haven't even begun to go into what the feds will do to you. Should have stuck to robbing Quickie Marts, Paco. He looked over the top of the cruiser to his partner. Any other charges that come to mind, partner? I'm sure there's a shit ton of others. The biggest one that stands out to me, his partner said, is illegal employment of massive amounts of stupidity. The two cops laughed as they pulled from the parking lot, leaving one cruiser behind to secure the scene of the attempted robbery. The kids sat in the back seat of the cruiser and smiled. 
The two officers stood on either side of the kid and led him through the back door of the station house, down a long gray hallway, down a flight of stairs, and into the booking room. Beyond the booking room, a row of 12 jail cells stretched to the end wall and then made a 90-degree turn with four more cells. For the most part, the inmates in the cells were quiet. The drunk drivers, the drug-addled, and homeless made up most of the residency. However, four of the cells contained inmates arrested on more serious charges. Three pairs of arms stuck out between the bars of three cells, their tattoos illustrating stories that only the inmate could tell with certainty. The kid said nothing, but continued to hold his half-smile. The officers led him past the booking agent and to the front of the holding cell to give the kid a more thorough search. So this is the badass bank robber I heard about over the radio, huh? Yep, shot the shit out of an ATM. If you take cards up your slot, you could be in danger with this one. The detention officer laughed. If you've given him the once run, bring him over here and we'll get him booked. The first officer directed the kid to the desk, his hand on the kid's elbow. How about we do a handoff here and you can finish up? Oh no, you are officially the arresting officer of record, so you get to stick around with me so Dan Dangerous here doesn't go all kung fu on my ass. Your partner can go book the gun into evidence and get a head start on your paperwork, though. Great, the partner said. I'll catch you upstairs where the humans still dwell. No offense, Dio. None taken. Give the land of the living my regards. The arresting officer walked the kid to the detention officer's table, which was bolted to the floor. He unlocked one side of the handcuffs and locked it into a steel ring set into the table. Okay, the D.O. said. Empty your pockets. Put everything on the table here and we'll do an inventory. The kid smiled as he dropped his wallet on the table. Some coins and a single key. You're a happy little bank robber, aren't you, son? The D.O. said. What were you trying to gain by shooting the crap out of an ATM? You do know it's a machine, right? And it can't listen to what you tell it to do? The kid met the Dio's eyes, but only widened his smile. That's okay, the Dio said. I prefer the strong, silent types myself. It beats listening to the same old bullshit from every suspect. Let's see who we have here. He flipped open the wallet, took out a few small bills, then removed other cards, pieces of paper, and a single condom. Well, at least he's a safe sex bank robber, which is good. We wouldn't want the ATM bandit here to be reproducing. So who do we have here, said the arresting officer. One of those from the southeast side. You know those apartment complexes that look like a city within a city? Only they smell a lot worse? That's where the bandit here hails from. Shit, that would have been my first guess, the arresting officer said. I should have tried to bet you before we found out for sure. Those asshole spicks come out of the womb with a knife in their hand, ready to rob and rape their own mothers. The D.O. looked over to see if he had struck a nerve. Usually any comments toward an inmate's mother got some kind of reaction, but the kid simply kept his smile on the D.O. Can I ask, sir, how long you've been doing this job? The kid asked. This is my twelfth year. The kid looked around at the gray-painted walls and the jail cell bars. And do they let you out into the daylight much? Hell, you're as much in jail as any man here, except you draw a shitty paycheck at the end of the week and probably go home to a fat wife every night. Does anyone really even know who you are? The D.O.'s smile dropped. Okay, smartass, we'll get you fingerprinted and then get your mug shot, and then you can make use of one of our exclusive accommodations. There won't be an ATM for you to fuck up, but there's a television in the corner, 
If you can't see it from the cell, you can listen to it and try to form mental images in that pea brain of yours. The kid smiled. I appreciate that, sir. Yeah, whatever. Now pull out your shoelaces and give me your belt. We can't have a world-class bank robber going for the easy way out, can we? The D.O. inventoried the kid's belongings, had the kid sign a receipt for the items, finished processing him, and then felt an even greater sense of satisfaction than usual when he slammed the cell door shut. The kid's cell was in the middle around the corner, and he could see most of the other cells and their occupants. You just rest easy, bandit, the D.O. said. The prosecutor will have your charges drawn up sometime Monday morning. Meanwhile, enjoy your lovely cot with single pillow and blanket and your exposed commode. Try not to shit on yourself if you use it. The entire time, the kid said little to nothing, but held his pants up by gripping the front waist and continued to smile. The D.O. walked back to his desk with the arresting officer. Fucker keeps on with that weird smile, he said. Put that with his shooting up an ATM and you've got a real mental case for sure. Now his lawyer will step in and use that to get him off. Then we repeat the cycle. Load, wash, rinse, repeat. Fucking head job. To protect and to serve, the arresting officer said. It's the code I try to live by. But tonight I think all I did was serve and protect a mental deficient from hurting himself. It's times like these when we should stay the hell out of the way of Darwin and let these kind kill themselves off with their own stupidity. It'll be interesting to see what the ATM video shows. Who knows, maybe there was an accomplice. The detention officer rounded his desk and sat down with a sigh. Although it's kind of depressing to think there might be some others of his mental caliber out there in this world. The kid sat on the edge of his bunk looking down at his laceless shoes. He slept restlessly the night before, and the day had dragged by. He had passed on the food he was served. Going on a starvation diet? A new Dio had come on duty, but the kid found him as snide and condescending as the first. That's going to gain you about as much as shooting up an ATM. The Dio had laughed, and some of the other inmates had joined in. The Dio seemed to like having an audience, and since the kid said nothing, he became an easy target. The jail was full. Over the course of the night, the kid watched four drunk drivers go through processing, each one managing to get someone to come bail them out and take them home. A vagrant also came through, but had both pissed and shit himself at the beginning of processing. The other inmates were quick to show their disapproval. Oh, come on now, one said. Don't put that guy in the same fucking building as us, let alone one of these cells. He'll probably get a better place to stay by pulling that off, another laughed. Maybe we should all shit ourselves. Go ahead, asshole, the first answered. They'll just leave you to sit in it until Monday. The kid had no idea where they took the guy who shit himself. Probably somewhere with a strong hose. The television played constantly. Apparently, the other inmates were used to the incessant noise because the kid heard more than a few snoring off and on through the night. He couldn't see the television from his cell, but it was tuned to some classic television channel that ran a marathon of situation comedies, the canned laughter beginning to scrape along the kid's nerves. The irony of the television tuning wasn't lost on the kid. The news had come on three times since the kid was placed in the cell. There was one report of an attempted home invasion which earned one of the inmates a smattering of applause, but there was no mention of the attempted ATM robbery. The kid wasn't surprised. 
you fuck with a bank, it's federal, and they don't broadcast any federal shit until the feds had the whole thing sewed up as tight as the stitching on a baseball. Still, he stayed awake through the second night and kept his ears open to any change on the television. Just before breakfast on Monday, the news came on again. The newscaster presented a few pieces of national news, but then her tone changed and the kid knew this was it. He stood and stepped in front of the cell. He held one of the bars with one hand and held his pants up with the other, straining his ears to hear. The announcer's voice came across, feminine, suddenly lighthearted, but consummately professional. In other news, a local bank robbery with a strange twist. The suspect, a young Hispanic man, approached an automated teller machine, as you can see in this film from the actual ATM. Watch what transpires in this strangest of armed bank robberies. Other inmates began to point towards the television beyond the kid's sight, shouting to him and laughing. Shut up! The inmates fell silent as the sound came from the ATM and through the television video. Okay, motherfucker, give me all your cash. A pause. I'm not fucking with you. Get those fucking hands where I can see them and start handing over your cash. A pause. Okay, fucker. Three muffled pops came from the television. The inmates remained silent as they watched the scene on the screen unfold. See, I'm not fucking around here. So hand over the fucking money or I will empty this gun into you and fucking kill you. Another pause, and then... Last chance. The next three pops sounded, and although the kid couldn't see, the picture blurred and diagonal lines waved through it. The other inmates watched the video as the kid spread his arms out, the gun dangling from his right index finger. The picture froze and recessed into a background shot behind the newscaster. The video, now being dubbed as the armed ATM bandit, surfaced from police evidence and has since gone viral, garnering over six and one-half million hits in only 36 hours. The previous record for a viral video pales in comparison, and if this one continues, it will surely surpass all previous views for a viral video on YouTube. It is now being broadcast in Britain, France, and other countries throughout Europe and Asia. News agencies and entertainment sources from around the world are already lining up to interview the armed ATM bandit. The other newscaster's comment faded in the murmurs of the other inmates' sudden chatter. Their voices rose in volume, but then fell to a few furtive whispers. The cell block lay still for a lone silent moment and then exploded into whistles, applause, and cheers. The kid, his fists held high, jumped up and down on the balls of his feet like a prize fighter. Yeah, motherfuckers, he screamed. I'm fucking international. As he jumped up and down, his unsecured pants fell unnoticed around his ankles. The inmates of the cell block cheered as though meeting the latest, greatest rock and roll sensation. 